Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Do The Work Podcast. My name is Sabrina Zohar, and I am your host. I am so excited to have somebody on for part two, somebody very, very near and dear to me, and honestly, somebody who has shed so much light on how the brain works, growth, and just I've learned so much from her, and so I'm so excited to welcome Britt Frank back onto the podcast. Britt is seriously like one of my favorite human beings. She's just incredible, and she's a wealth of knowledge her new workbook the science of stuck so I'm a big fan of her book the science of stuck and her new workbook comes out and like guys I got a preview of it this thing is jam-packed with some of the best tools and reframes that I have personally ever seen in this field so like I am beyond excited for this to come out link in show notes if you want to snag your order pre-order and support Brit I could not encourage this eye enough and tomorrow's her birthday so yay let's support and love I'm just so excited today you guys we're talking about addiction cycles not drug and alcohol addiction cycles though it is very similar parts of the brain but the love addiction social media addiction and what's happening in your brain throughout it all and what happens in your brain through rejection so Brit is bestowing so much wisdom onto us and I am so excited so guys before we get started to the episode I just wanted to again just thank you guys I've been struggling the last few weeks personally just with my own mental health and with my own self-limiting beliefs and my own reaffirmations of bullshit thinking and having you guys there and just the support has meant the world. So like if you guys think that it's that you're benefiting from this, it's also me. I benefit and I grow and I learn and I get my cup filled every fucking time I interact with you guys and do this and I'm I'm grateful. You know, I understand. I know there's some audio issues and the video is delayed and the fucking website is a month behind and the course is taking a minute longer and the bonus content's delayed. All of those to say that I still am here putting one foot in front of the other. Every day I'm a fucking human just like you guys who has issues, who has hiccups, who has setbacks and who has their own limiting beliefs. So part of doing this work isn't that you're going to be perfect. It's, it doesn't exist. What it means though is that you're learning tools to be able to handle this and so that the baby with the bathwater doesn't all go out the window. So I just wanted to share that and normalize that like it's totally okay to feel sad and bummed some days and to struggle like you're a human. And so I just want to make sure that we are making space for that. So, all right, I'll shut my big fucking mouth for now. But as always, thank you guys. Please do not forget to rate the show. Please, please, please. If you go to Spotify, three dots at the top, or if you go to Apple and you scroll to the bottom, iHeartRadio, Deezer, wherever you're listening, truly, that is the only way I can grow is by listening to the entirety of the episode, sharing it with a friend, and just reading it. So luckily, all fun, free shit. Um, and guys, don't forget to follow along on the socials, TikTok, Sabrina.Sohar, if TikTok shows my content. You know, just never know these days. And on Do The Work Podcast on Insta. Again, all the links are in the show notes. But that way, you can also ask questions. So I ask you guys questions on social on Do The Work Podcast so you can chime in and, and that way I can answer things for you. So I'm really excited. Thank you guys for everything. Thank you for everyone who's been here along the journey from the beginning. You're fucking awesome. And to everybody new, welcome. Or wherever you're along the way, you're now part of this family. And we're just so grateful to have you. So without further ado, let's get right on into it. Oh my God, Britt, we are in person. We are live. I'm so excited to have you in the studio. 
you're real. You're like a human beyond a square. It's so good to see you in person. You too, dude. I'm Yay. so excited. Today, we've got, I mean, obviously part two. Um, you're the one of the first, like the few people to be on for part two. So I'm so excited. That's how much I loved our part one. It was so fun. It was so good. So today, I think something that is really, really important for us to talk about is addiction in different ways. Mm-hmm. Not just the traditional like drug addict, alcohol, things like that, which like absolutely we will talk about. But I think like the addiction cycles in relationships, in dating, and I think I kind of just wanted to like, well, first off, let's dive in for you to introduce yourself to anybody who doesn't know you. <laughs> but before we dive in, I am just super curious and excited to like hear your history with working with these, like with different addictions and like how you see them manifest in different ways. So of course, I have no hot mess history of being a love <laughs> addict or a sex addict or a drug addict or a train wreck. I'm just a clinician with a shiny degree and letters <laughs> after my name. No, I was a train wreck. All of the addictions. It's like pick one. When people say, how long have you been sober? I'm like, I don't count days. Yeah. Because I was addicted to so many different things. Yeah. And so I came to the therapy world out of the advertising production world, like through my own recovery. Yeah. It was not like, let me help people, even though that's great. It was, oh my God, this is so fascinating. Like, this is so interesting. I just think everyone should know everything about all of this. But it's fascinating because the addiction world is very specific. And people think if I'm not shooting heroin on the streets, yeah. I am not one of those people. But uh, we all have brains and our brains are all filled with chemicals. And it is amazing how the addiction thing can creep in, even to people who don't identify as addicts. But yeah, I'm a therapist and a recovering mess of a human. And I wrote a book about being stuck and how to get unstuck. And that's me. I love that book. By the way, I refer that book, The Science of Stuck, all the fucking time. Because I love that you took something so complex, like so neuroscience, by the way, I don't know about you, I've been nerding the fuck out on it. I'm loving like the amygdala and how that starts to fire on the prefrontal cortex. Like the just, and I would love if you can like give me just anything more on this because I'm I'm, like (laughs) hungry for it. But I agree with you, like starting, I mean, for me, I guess now in hindsight, I didn't realize I was a sex addict. In a, in a way, not like the obvious where I was like, I had to get laid, otherwise I'd fuck any stranger. I use that as a way of connecting with people. And that's how, like, I mean, I look back on my New York days. I'm like, I actually thought about this the other day. I was like, I had sex with three people in one day, like early 20s. Anybody out there that's going to shame me, you can go fuck yourself. This is me being vulnerable and honest about when I was 21 living in New York, like having a great time being so anxious and so fucked up mentally. I didn't know which way was up and down and right. But yeah. But I'd love to talk about like, can we just talk about the process of the addiction more than just like drugs and alcohol? Yeah. And our brain is like a little drug dealer. Now, I'm a big advocate of our brains are on our side. Everything that our brains do is in service of us being alive. Like brains are not wired for happiness, health, and love. They're wired for don't die. Yeah. That's it. It's a binary. If you're not dead, your brain's like, yay, good. Whatever you're doing, keep going. Like, yeah, you're stalking someone's social media and you're staying up all night and you're dating bad people and you're answering the, hey, you up text. Your brain's like, great, you're not dead. Let's keep doing the thing. And so when people are like, I'm not an addict, I'm like, yeah, but what are you doing? Are you doing things you don't want to be doing? Are you doing them despite negative consequences? And are you continuing to do them more and more? That is the definition of addiction. Now, I've had people push back and send me very angry messages. You're invalidating people with real addiction. I'm like, I smoked crystal meth out of a fucking light bulb. So no. 
I'm not invalidating the real drug addicts. I'm <sighs> saying people are suffering. The reason our industry exists and why dating is such a shit show is because no one is factoring in the brain science of addiction into the process. Why am I doing the thing? It's like, that's addiction. But no, 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 no. But I love him. I got you. But that's also addiction. Our brains are very, very crafty. But they're they're not out to get us. They're trying to help us. And they're really not very... I heard someone say, Michelle Masters, she's like... Your brain has like the operating software of whenever you were six. Whatever year you were six years old, that's like a phone that has not updated since that year. So no wonder everything is going to shit. And it's so funny because like the one thing, so it's funny. One, I did a video yesterday about like a pep talk and it was the same thing of like me just sharing my experience. And I had an email, DM, same thing of like, you're so disconnected from your audience. I'm sorry that your dog died, but like some of us have real people that have died. And it sounds like you're so insensitive and you're so disconnected from reality. You just up and left and moved. Well, some of us can't would do that financially. And I just sat there and I was like, okay. This per- obviously this person's like going through their own thing right now and that's when you have to remove yourself and just be like I blocked I was like there's no point in engaging in this like if you're going to attack some person because you don't know our circumstances and our situations it's fine but the one thing that I get probably more often than not is like I had a great childhood no this isn't come I I learned this behavior when I was 25 dating a narcissist and that's it and it's like now non-clinician I'm like all right you know here I am can we talk clinically from the goddamn brain like how this actually gets formed when you're a child I'm gonna get into so much trouble for saying this and so are you but I can back it up and I will back it up so if you had a great childhood and your parents were awesome I'm really happy for you like good good that's awesome (laughs) and I'm not trying to hunt for traumas that never happened right however all parents are human right And all humans mess shit up. If you had a great childhood and you are dating the same sociopathic narcissist over and over, some things got missed. People who grew up securely attached do not attract or retain or stay in relationships with toxic people. It does not happen. So I didn't even realize I had a bad childhood until I looked at my dating history. Like, wait a second, there's something not adding up here. But it's not about let's demonize your parents. Like, I'm sure they were great. I'm sure they did the best they could. But your dating history is pointing towards a wound. Right. And that wound did happen in childhood. Sorry, it's not like I was fine. And then at 18, suddenly I decided to start dating crazy there are no crazy people disclaimer (laughs) I started to date crazy making gaslighting type of people it's like can we just deal with the impact of your childhood without going into but but the impulse to defend our families is also a neurologically hardwired thing so we have to undo that first I was gonna say can we talk about like because the, the when we think about addiction like I'm also interested in yes okay we have human behavior things like that but what's actually going on like in the brain so like when addiction takes place like I know social media that's a huge point of contention for a lot of people is like the you know I, I mean I can't stop looking at my ex's insta I can't stop looking at their stuff and it's like what's literally happening mm-hmm. and no one really knows with absolute certainty mm-hmm. what's happening we have our best guesses okay but every and social media is so much information and we know it's engineered to keep our attention like Anywhere we're paying attention, someone is making money. And social media, obviously, you're getting these little pings of dopamine, of brain chemicals that are going, yes, please, more of that. Yes, please, more of that. But people don't realize that even looking at something that is upsetting to you 
is also generating dopamine. So it's sort of like when I was doing speed, speed does not feel good after a while. But like you keep doing it because your brain is saying, we had that, we need that, give us more of that, which is why we do things that are bad for us. This episode is brought to you by OneSkin. In the spirit of self-care, today's sponsor, OneSkin, is here to help you simplify your skincare regimen. That's actually super important, especially if you're somebody like me who really doesn't have a lot of time. I'm in and out, and I want to make sure that my skin has the best of the best. That's why I love OneSkin. So OneSkin's proprietary OS1 peptide, it's the first ingredient scientifically proven to reduce the buildup of sunset cells. Those notorious little zombie cells that contribute to skin aging, that's what OS1 has helps you with. So fewer zombie cells mean healthier, younger looking skin with fewer lines and wrinkles, reduced age spots, and a stronger natural barrier. It's so, so important to take care of your skin, especially at any age of your life. But we want prevention to be the key, not us try to figure out when it's too late. And that's why I love OneSkin. Tekka and I have both been using it. And I have to say, I took him for his first facial and even the esthetician commented on how beautiful his skin is, especially for a man. So thank you, OneSkin. And honestly, especially for my dudes out there or anybody that doesn't have a skincare routine, let's start small and at least just incorporate something like OneSkin that is not too overwhelming. So one skin is more than skincare. It's about skin longevity, targeting the root cause of aging to help you look and feel your best at every age. So get started today with 15% off using the code do the work at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with the code do the work. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support the show and tell them what that we sent you. Invest in the health of your skin with one skin. So question, because I actually heard somebody say the other day and I was like, oh, and they were like, dopamine doesn't come with like, you know, the dopamine rush of getting a text. They're like, it doesn't come when you actually get the text. It's the anticipatory, like waiting for it, which makes sense as to why when you're, ta- it's like saying when I smoked cigarettes, I hated smoking a cigarette. The actual act of it, I was like, Bleh. but I couldn't wait to get that little stick in between my fingers and like the anticipation of it. Now, if, okay, so like if we're aware of this, like I'm pretty much trying to help people out there that are really fucking struggling with this social media component of dating because let's be honest like social media has fucked dating you know like you one of my clients the other day just Friday she texts me and she's like I did the stupid mistake of looking at their profile I saw he has a new girl now I'm completely and how can we help these people by understanding that there is a very well-defined cycle of addiction. You're not like people are like, why am I doing this? Because there's a, it's documented. There are textbooks. <laughs> there are flow charts. We didn't make this up. Like this is not just, here's Brit's like idea on how you should live your life and manage your social media. Like on the addiction cycle, what you're talking about with the anticipation, that's called the ritualizing phase. So that's when you're getting ready to go on the date. You're packing the cigarettes. You know, for me, it's like, I'm about to get my drugs from someplace. And once you're in the ritual, I'm getting ready to do yeah. the thing, you're fucked. The door of opportunity to not do the thing is now closed. So you ritualize and then you act out whatever that looks like. I looked at the thing. I made the call. I slept with the person. Then the shame bomb hits you, yeah. right? And then you either 
vow never to do it again or whatever. And then you get back to, okay, I'm fine right now. Then you get triggered. Then you ritualize. Then you act out. Then the shame. Then back to baseline. The time to make the changes is not when you're midstream. You have to make the changes right after the shame bomb hits is a good time. And then when you're at neutral before the trigger hits is also a good time. But once you're on the cycle, it's like you're on the ride and we have to, no shame. That's just how brains brain. So you have to start I call it following my drunk friends around the bar exercise. Like once you're on that ride and you know it, it's like, okay, I'm just going to try to minimize the damage until I'm off this particular cycle and then I'll try again. I love your, like, I remember, I'll never forget when you told me, change your inner monologue into an inner dialogue. I love your little, like, cues and little things following your friend at the bar. I know it. I've done it. I've done it. We've all done it. done it. One thing that was huge for me was I loved DBT personally. Like, that was just my modality, my way of therapy. IFS as well. But, like, DBT, when I had my, my one therapist, like, she really sticks out. And she would always think of future you think of future you. How are you going to feel? And like, I think that's kind of where I was in the cycle at that neutral spot was going, wait a minute. Okay. If I look at this profile, what's going to happen? I knew. And like, that's like self-awareness. Like we all, we start to piece it all together. Like the layers of everything we're teaching. It's like, Hey, are you even aware of what you're doing? First step, second step. Can you identify what you're doing? Hey, I feel shitty. And so like, I remember even Masha and this must be the brain. Um, when I would get super dysregulated, the first thing I would do is go for my phone and look at Insta. And what was I doing? Validation. I needed to know, okay, well, I'm feeling low about myself. So let me go there. Oop, yay, I have followers. I'm okay. So I even understood, wait a minute, I'm doing this for my own, like I was in my own cycle of addiction, constantly checking. This morning was the first morning I didn't grab my phone and look at social. Well done. Thank you. How do you feel? Do you feel twitchy? I feel a little twitchy. I looked for like a second. I posted my video, but I made a rule. I was like, I am not like, and that was for me. And I think for a lot of people listening, it's like, listen, man, are you going to the gym? Are you eating well? It's like, those are all, that's why I actually wanted to talk to you about like discipline. Discipline with when it comes to the brain, because I posted something yesterday of like real growth is like discipline. Someone was like, can you explain this further? Because I don't really understand. Yeah. And discipline has such a bad connotation. It's like discipline does not mean beat the shit out of yourself and yell at yourself. Discipline is not about intensity. It's about consistency. And with the change process, especially with this, I want to check social media and I'm going to stalk my people or whatever. Our brains don't like big. Our brains hate big, which is why you try to make a big change. You can't. You feel like crap. And then you repeat, repeat, repeat. So discipline is not, I'm going to make the big change. Discipline is I'm going to do something so small it feels stupid. Like not a baby step. I'm talking make it so if you're going to go online and social media stalk someone, yeah. fine. Social media stalk them but time yourself. Right. Time yourself. I'll put a boundary around yeah. it. Yeah. But time yourself for a real, I'm going to do it for two minutes. No, you're not. And yeah. I know you're not. And you know you're not. If you're planning on stalking someone for half an hour, set your timer for 29 minutes. Yeah. And the first time you do it for 29 minutes. And then the second time you do it for 26 minutes. And like with smoking, it's don't quit. Like smoke what you're going to smoke, but your last cigarette of the day put out before you get to the very end. Yeah. Little, I call them micro yeses. Our brains like small. It's like trying to shove a T-bone steak down the throat of a toddler. Like you can't digest that. So if we want to be disciplined, we have to know how our brains handle data 
is small. It's so funny because as you were talking about that, I'm like, okay, how did I quit all of my stuff? It was like 2016. It was one of those moments where like, I'll, I will never forget. I like woke up and I like, or I remember I was like sitting on the couch with my ex. Lovely guy. Like what this guy was, uh, Kendall. Like tall, athletic, blonde, beautiful, successful. Everything that you, just not my person. Mm -hmm. And he was very, like, I got into a relationship with him because I just wanted to be in a relationship. And it was one of those moments, you know, like you look over and I remember just looking at him and I just said, this isn't working. And he was like, you're right. Like we just both, and I think we, like we cried, you know, we, like he cleared out the house and we cried. The next day we were fine. Like I remember we were texting. He was really close with my dog when he was alive and like we ended up remaining friends. But anyways, my point being was at that moment, I remember just sitting there and I, I remember just looking down and I was like 30 pounds heavier than I am, like super out of weight or super out of shape, sad, depressed on medication. I was on uh, Effexor, Wellbutrin, Depakote, Klonopin, Xanax. All at the same time. D the Wellbutrin and the Effexor are different times. Wow. But I was on three at all times. One antidepressant, one anti-anxiety, and one mood stabilizer. Mind you, I'm not bipolar. Like, I've been, I've never had this diagnosis in my life since, but I had the wrong person. And again, to, let me disclaimer, anybody on medication, you do what you need to do. This is my personal experience. And I am just sharing to, if it doesn't work for you, maybe talk to a doctor. That's all I'm saying here. But for me, I talked to my doctor and I said, I'm done. And I unbeknownst to me, quit a cold turkey. Didn't know you weren't supposed to. Yeah, I could have died. Now we, we find out. Never been back on again. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do do that. not do that. <laughs> that was me being, an, I just didn't know. Sure. I just thought, cool. And so I cut smoking. I cut that literally one day and I went paleo and I started working out. Talk about big changes. My brain like couldn't. But you know what I realized just now as we were talking, I was like, huh, I shamed myself into this. I shamed, changed myself. That's why it wasn't sustainable. That's why for so long I wasn't happy. But because I was listening, as you were talking about those little changes and I was like, okay, what I did was not really sustainable for the average person. That's why people can quit smoking cold turkey. But is there... Is there ever, like, can can you, like, use shame, I guess, into, like, changing yourself? And then, like, how can we reverse that so that you don't fucking shame yourself because it's not helping anybody? So shame is a very effective behavior mm. modifier. Mm. I joined a fundamentalist cult. Like, I am aware of the power of shame to change behavior. I love your life. Yeah, good times. <laughs> 10 out of 10, don't recommend. <laughs> but... Um, shame will change behavior, but shame will not change how your brain is wired in a healthy, sustainable way. So even if you quit the drugs, even, and I did, there was a time where no drugs, no boys, no nothing. And I was really not, I wasn't even there. I was in like this dissociative haze. Yeah. So if you're just focusing on don't do the thing, yeah, you can beat yourself into that. But then what? Like if the point of all of the work that we do is to be happy. Forget about happiness. Just to not feel like we're being puppeteered by our addictions and compulsions. Shame doesn't get that job done. Yeah. Ever. And the question. So like if you are. So let's say we're not the person that is feeling this addiction. So like for anybody with the social media thing. Like you now have confines of how you can restrict your social media intake. Like set timers. Think of future you. Regulate your nervous system. Like I think the biggest thing that I see is people don't stop to be like, how are you feeling when you're doing this? And you're just like, oh, wow, yeah, my heart is in my stomach. It's like, yeah, you're not regulated. Brain and nervous system, they're not how you're here to help you grow. So now we know that. But I think, wow, I'm like completely blank. I had such a great question for you. And I was like, where was I? I go into my own land and I'm like, what was I going <laughs> to Well, what you were just saying about the dysregulation. Thank you. And here's where <laughs> brain science gets strange. Brains are freaking weird. Like 
we become addicted to dysregulation is yeah. the problem. So like I go, let's say I go online and I'm looking at people that I'm comparing myself to and people that I've dated and people who are killing it that I'm jealous of. Now I'm dysregulated. Yeah. But the dysregulation, like think of your brain like a little drug dealer. When you're dysregulated, your little drug dealer is going to hand you a bunch of cortisol and adrenaline and it's going to shoot through your body. But then you become addicted to your stress response. And so now we've got a double whammy. But again, it's like once you know this, that's the first step of change. If you don't know this, you're screwed. And it's not your fault if you don't know this. We become addicted to dysregulation, which is why when you sit down to meditate and you have a panic episode, when you stop doing the thing and you get all twitchy, it's because you're now addicted to dysregulation. Withdrawals in in its own way. It's a real thing. The withdrawal process is not a metaphor. It's real. So there's a whole thing called post-acute withdrawal syndrome. Pause. Pause. I was going to say, yes, that was my, thank you. Yeah. And people don't know whether it's heroin, whether it's meth, whether it's the guy that you've been seeing for five seconds, it doesn't matter. Post-acute withdrawal is going to last about three weeks. And so if you do not know that you have to withdraw off of the dysfunctional stress hormones if you don't, it's like making a good change feels like shit. And so quitting the, the person, not swiping all freaking night, not eating the bad whatever, not smoking the whatever, you have to go through detox and withdrawal. And that is the first order of business. But we set ourselves up to fail. Assume for three weeks you're going to feel like shit. Right. What's the plan? You're not going to eat vegetables and make kale smoothies and go work out. I mean, maybe you will, and that's awesome for you. But like, <laughs> yeah. most people need to cave to burrow and to do comfort seeking behaviors that aren't the thing. It's called harm reduction. Like if you're trying to stop this thing, what's the next worst thing that will keep you from doing this thing? For three weeks, you got to stay in this zone because you're not going to get to health and happiness and love and light. From addiction, we have to go one step down and then another step down. Otherwise, our brains are going to fight us. And can we talk because like obviously we know the phys- like when it comes to I know we had talked about like I get emails every day of like how do I date somebody that's like in recovery or addicted like I don't want to spend too long on that because I have so many other questions to ask you yeah what is your advice if anybody is dealing with somebody like obviously if they're not getting help you and I both know like what the answer is there but if they're getting help like I mean at least for me like my brother was a drug addict like in in high school and so I went through my mom doing NA and Al-Anon and having to go through all the meetings and like my brother going he like my brother went to the wilderness program like all those fucking yeah all those docuseries that you watch he went on that he went on that for three months and then he went to a school that he's doing a documentary on how abusive the school the school got shut down because how and like don't get me wrong it saved his life sure because he needed that but then now I see how he behaves in his adult life and you're like it shows you know what I mean like so if we're not talking about just like the if we're talking about, sorry, dating somebody who's in that traditional stance, I've always been in the school of thought like recovery comes first. But like, how do you actually date somebody that is going through recovery like that? It's so interesting that we separate like the people who are in active recovery. How do I date them? Oh, how do you date anybody? Because yeah. everybody has something. Not everyone has a chemical addiction, but everyone has shit. So we, I think, and I, I'll speak for myself. I got so focused on what they were into. They're in recovery. They live with their parents they were you know they had this thing as a child they whatever 
forget about what's going on with them. It's what is the impact of their choices on you? What are you tolerating? What are you comfortable with? Because if we outsource the, I can date someone if they're in this particular zone and that's it. There are people who've been in recovery for 20 years who are assholes. There are people who've been in recovery for six months who are wonderful, lovely people. So it's not just if they're in recovery, what do I do? It's what are you tolerating? What are you willing to deal with? And yes, recovery comes first. And this is what I'm about to say is so not sexy and not romantic, but it's truth. In any relationship, you come first. Right. I my my marriage vows to my husband now. We said and this is not sexy or romantic, but for us it was real and it meant a lot. Here were our vows. I choose me, I choose you, then I choose us. And if that oh, is I not love. the order of operations, you're screwed. I love that. Yeah, we had fun with those. I do. Well, because like you said, it's the same as like when I get a message of like, this guy's doing this. And it's like, so the, you don't have to allow that though. Like, I think what I've really started to see, one thing that's become like very crystallized is, and I get it, when I see the like, I don't have any choice and I feel like I'm beholden to this. and yada, What I start to see is I'm like, when you're six, yeah, you're right. Your parents say something to you and they walk out. You're going, I don't know what to do. I can't speak up to them. I can't tell them no. I can't say this. I'm now here. What do I do? My parents just left me. I'm alone in a house. It's like, yeah, when you're six years old, you're fucked. I, and I experienced that when I was a kid. I, I can't tell you how many times I'd come home alone. How many times at seven, eight, nine, I would come home going and there's no one there. It's like, yeah, you're helpless. You can't speak up to your parents and be like, hey, you know, when I came home from work, I didn't appreciate, or when I came home from school, I didn't appreciate that you weren't here. No, because what's your parent going to do? My dad would have fucking hit me and been like, you ungrateful piece of shit. I was out working. I'm not going to get anything. But then you're an adult and I'll see this behavior of like, this guy did this. And I'm like, okay, so I'm sorry. You know, you could just like walk out, right? And I think there's that. It's regression is what that is. And we we don't realize that our brains don't do time the way we do time. Like logically, I am this age and I have a credit card and car (laughs) keys and a phone and I can tell you to fuck off and I can walk out the door. But we don't. Why? Is it because we're all just stupid and lazy and crazy? No, it's because our brains will shrink down to the age of our original wounding. So if you were six years old feeling like you couldn't say anything, in a relationship, your brain is going to go to that six-year-old state. So these brain states, this is what I love about the neuroscience. It's so fun. It's why you can feel like, I I don't want to upset them. Anytime as adults where we're afraid of getting in trouble... We are no longer in our, like, how old are you feeling right now is a question I didn't learn to ask until I became a therapist. Yes. But a really good question for anyone, whether you're on social media or obsessing, is how old do you feel right now? For those of you guys that know me and been along my journey, you guys know how much Clem meant to me and how much every single day I mourn Clem and I think about Clem and I miss my best friend, my dog, my partner, my everything. He was my reason for getting up. He was my reason for going on every day. And now every day I look forward to making him proud from up there and I know that he's watching me and he's so excited. You got to remember, your pet is one of a kind and so is their journey. While every playful moment is a memory in the making, sometimes our cats and dogs are a little too good at getting into trouble. That's why you guys should check out the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. So the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that 
time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are. Because realistically, vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. So to explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash do the work. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash do the work. Again, ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash do the work. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by other either independent American insurance company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. I asked that to my sister. We had a huge fight. And she was like, uh, Sabrina, I don't have any issues with you now or from childhood. Everything is for now. And I remember I was just like, okay, like she, you don't fucking therapize me. And I was like, okay, okay, cool. Like, and I remember just all I simply asked her like a few minutes later was, how old do you feel right now? And she's like, I feel like I'm fucking 15 again. And I was like, there it Boom. is. And I knew. And I said, and then she just broke down. And like, we were able to talk and everything. And, but it's true. Yesterday I experienced that. I went down to tell Ryan Damn it, I keep saying his name. All right, everybody knows his name is fucking Ryan. It's not tech guy anymore. <laughs> like, cat's out of the bag. We've been together for too long. And it was the same. I went down and he was making eggs. And the first thing I noticed was, oh, they're runny. You know, and I was like, they're a little too runny for me. And then what happened in my thought? My mom's voice came in, Sabrina, don't say anything. This man just made you brunch. Be a good, don't be rude. Just shut your mouth. Because my mom will say that. And I love Helly to the fucking death. But even now, like she came recently and she was like, Sabrina, no, 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 come on. Just don't, don't upset him. And I looked at her and I was like, whoa, good girl, huh? I was like, look at that dynamic. And she even stopped herself. She's like, oh my God, conditioned, went right back to that. But it was so true. Like I stopped in that moment and I was like, and I didn't say anything. And then after he saw it and he was like, how is the egg cooked? And I was like, you know, it's funny. I didn't want to say anything. And I was like, where did I go? My dad. Don't say anything because you're disrespectful, you ungrateful little fuck. How dare you say that you don't like the way I made something? We're all grown-ups. When we're all grown-ups, you can very respectfully request more cook on the egg. Yeah. Hey, can you just, I even told him, can you leave it on for another minute? And he was like, yeah, no worries. Right. Done. Done. I created this whole entire thing. But let me ask you now, if people are doing this, like what what is a step that they could take First step for the brain, mm-hmm. not just woo woo like affirmations and write it on your mirror. It's like, what can they actually do? You know me, I'm all about tools to genuinely start to see changes if you keep coming from that place of a child. When we regress, the first impulse we have, because as kids, we have no, we don't even have a fully cooked brain yet. No. So as kids, we want to reach out for a caregiver. If there is none present, then we generally dissociate because kids can't really fight because they'll lose and they can't really flee because there's nowhere to go. So the first thing that we have to do in relationships is take ownership that no one is coming to save us, which really pissed me off. And my princess parts were really bratty about that. Like super bitchy bratty. My how to lose a guy in 10 days mind is not happy about this right now. I mean, truly. Right. But we have to stop. And the first order of business when you're feeling not your current age and the way to tell if you're not feeling your current age is are you out of, not out of regular, that word has gotten so weaponized Mm. do you still feel in control of your choices like are you crying and losing your shit because the eggs are runny or like do you notice that you're having feelings disengage like step one do not try to interface with your partner when you are regressing unless you are like a ninja and they're a ninja and you can talk about it get away and then ask yourself how old am I right now and then it's what was my core need? What was the need there? What was the fear there? And then talk to that part of yourself. Yeah. 
Like we people, and again, I didn't learn this until I learned it, but like we all have voices in our heads. We all have multiple parts. I always say we all have multiple personalities. Imagine if they could all get along. That's not the same as dissociation and dissociative identity disorder. Not talking about that. <laughs> I'm talking about the little six-year-old that feels scared that the partner is going to leave. So she's going to block the door. This is what I used to do. Yeah, did, yeah. And have tantrums. And no, don't leave me. Don't leave me. My job is to parent that child. It's yeah. not yours. And if you need help, fine. Like you can have friends help you with this. You can have, if you have access to therapists help you with this. Not everyone does. But the first order of business is ask yourself, how old do I feel? What does that child need? And then in any way you have available to you, try to meet the need. And what I love what you're doing there is like you're also firing on prefrontal cortex, getting that logic going. Somebody's been studying neuroscience. (laughs) But like it's true because I think that that has been a game changer for me to stop. And even in the moments of like, he can, t- we are, he's a bit of a ninja. He can tell when I'm shutting down and he'll like instantly be like, babe, what's going on? And then that prompts me to be like, right, Sabrina, you can speak to this person. You can communicate. And how I, same thing. I'm like, that's okay. Like, you're not a child. You're not in this house anymore. And it's like, I think what most people need to really understand is like, this takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of you saying, wait a minute, I'm in control of my brain. My brain doesn't control me. My brain works for me. Like it's, it's an employee. And when it goes rogue, things tend to go sideways. But a lot of times we amp up our stress response and our brain gets a little agitated because we think we have to fight it. Like my brain works for me. That's why the term amygdala hijack, which everyone uses, everyone uses that. I'm like hijack sort of implies that there are terrorists and bad things are happening. Amygdala hijack happens because your brain thinks you're about to die. So it comes in with a blowtorch to light a birthday candle. It's like, that's too big of a tool for this job. So if we can start with, my brain is not trying to kill me. It's not trying to sabotage me. It's trying to help me. It's not doing a very good job. My job is to to rewire it. But we don't start this process on like the level 10 things like relationships and addictions we have to start with stupid stuff like in the morning I just want to lay around and eat donuts and not do anything I'm not going to go on a five mile run maybe I'll put my shoes by the door right and then tomorrow maybe I'll put the left one on and then the next day maybe I'll put the right one on everyone says the same thing how am I supposed to do anything if I'm making changes this small this is stupid I'm like no that's brain science you have to either you're with it or you're against it. Exactly. It's like I can either because I like what you're what you're saying here is I think for a lot of people listening it feels overwhelming of like I'm here. How the fuck am I going to get to where you are? And it's like okay, here prime example. 2016, that was me putting one foot one shoe on. Me too. Me doing the I remember getting the sweat app and doing it in my apartment and doing like a hit workout and being like I can't do this. Like I'm so out of shape. So I said okay, fine, I'll do yoga. Like finding things. I started 10 minutes, then I went to 15, then I went to 20. And I think the one thing is especially for our anxious folks listening. We have people of all walks of life, but specifically the anxious folks need to understand it's a process and it's going to take time. And for the anxiety of I'm a fear of the future and all this, it's like, I think that what you're saying is like, you need to start to learn one, to trust yourself, one, to rebuild a relationship with yourself. You have to show up for yourself in different ways. That's why I even started reading every night for 10 minutes. Mm. Your book started me on that actually. (gasps) Yeah. When you sent it to me, I was like, this is my promise to myself. And so now I'm like on a Brene Brown book. Like I just keep expanding and trying different books and things like that. I got tech guy now every night. He's like, I want to join that. And now he started to do it. And it's like, because it's not that me reading for 10 minutes every night has changed my life. That act of doing that one thing isn't going to be what, 
But what that did was I started to trust myself. I started to make routines. I started to put myself first. I started to change the way that I started to see things. I was learning new things. I love what you said about keeping promises to yourself because this is how kids get all messed up and this is how we fix this in our brains now. When you break a promise to yourself, you mess up the attachment. And we all talk about attachment with other people, but like we actually need to build secure attachment with ourselves. And the way you build secure attachment with yourself is to keep promises. But if you're making promises that are too big, like New Year's resolutions, I'm going to eat all the health and do all the workouts. Make a promise you can keep. That's why I advocate for making, forget 10 minutes, 30 seconds. Do one jumping jack if that's what it takes. Read three sentences on a page if that's what it takes. I always tell people, if you want to read, put a book in the bathroom. You're going to be in there for a few minutes anyway. So you can habit stack, which is a James Clear thing. Oh, I love that. Which is great. But make promises small. So I'm not going to look at my ex's social media. Like, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. So don't break that promise. Maybe after you're done with your addiction cycle, then you call a friend and out yourself. Maybe after you're done with your six-hour binge-a-thon of whatever, then you go for a walk. But we have to start with being honest with ourselves about our shit. Right. Without shame. It's just what's true. It's not going to be from you have never lifted a weight before to now you're going to be beating Arnold Schwarzenegger it's like that I always equate I always can compare things back to the gym because it really is it's like I'm half the time not motivated my muscles hurt like yesterday I worked out and I was like I didn't want to do that like midway through I was like can I just stop and I was like okay you could there's no one here that's going to tell you anything otherwise and I was like but it's a promise I made to myself that I was going to get back into it and so same thing. I used to be able to lift for over an hour in the gym, two hours sometimes. Like I was, oh my God, I was, my ass was growing. I was deadlifting 200 pounds. Like I was fucking crushing it when I lived in Venice. Clem died. My whole world changed. I moved to San Diego. You don't have the gym as much anymore. It's a different gym. It's a different, you're single. You know, I'm not single anymore. So I was going to the gym for different reasons. My life, things changed. So instead of beating myself up and saying, oh God, I was like, okay, you've lost a little bit of muscle. Muscle memory will come back. Let's start with 10 minutes at the gym. And so now I've been doing 10 minutes and I went to 15, 20. So now I'm at a 20 minute. Yeah. 30 minutes seems scary to me, even though I know my body can handle it. But after 20 minutes yesterday of going to peak, even my whoop was like, you were in 100% even Ryan's like, man, you really haven't worked out. <laughs> but like, that's okay. It's like I had a, a laugh about saying, it's okay. I am going to get back on the bandwagon just because you fall off. Doesn't mean that you're fucked. That's it. Oh, I'm fucked. Just because you ate the Twinkie or you had the soda at dinner. It's like, you could just pick back up and make yourself that commitment of, okay, I'll at least do a walk. Right. And often the reason we don't is because of this very insidious addiction cycle, right? And I love the gym metaphor too. No one expects leg day to feel good. No, It's like, we know that's going to hurt. But people think when I break up with someone who's bad for me, I'm going to feel great. Or set a boundary. I should just feel great. Yes. Setting boundaries and making healthy relationship choices feels worse than leg day. 100%. It's psychological leg day. It's terrible. It's going to burn. You're going to feel like you're dying. You're going to want to quit. And if you don't know that, then it's, oh my God, why do I keep doing the same thing? Because brain. Like you don't even need to know. Because your brain is braining. That's why. I actually wanted to talk. You made a statement that I was like, we need to talk about this. A good one. Oh, oh yeah. No, don't worry. Um, <laughs> the, lo- the love addiction cycle mm-hmm. that you were saying you think you want a relationship, yeah. but you're actually 
either like was more avoidant than you. And someone said, they're like, wait, isn't that the anxious thing? Can we talk about the love addiction cycle? Because I get this every day. I want a relationship and I'm so ready and they're not and they're not and they're not. And I'm like, you are not ready for this. Because if you were actually ready, you'd be walking the fuck away from this and going to people that are. If you, the more that you stay in this unavailable shit. So Brit, talk to us more about that. I'm going to get so many angry DMs. Okay. All right. Here we go. Same. I can't fucking wait. Hold my beer. Here we go. So this blew my mind when I learned this as a clinician and in recovery. I used to think that like the sex addict was intimacy avoidance and the love addict, all they wanted was to be loved. And like, Yes, we all need to do On paper, yeah. On paper. But we forget that our brains have lots of different systems and our logic. I want a relation. And I said the same thing. I would have been diagnosed with, I was, what's called borderline personality disorder. Same. 20 years of that. Yeah. I get it. That's a whole nother topic if we want to do a part three. I was going to say, yeah, because I've never, we've never talked about that. Yep. That's a thing. Coming back for that. As a love addict, I would have gone I would have taken punches I want a relationship I want to be loved I want intimacy I'm ready I am so here for this same partner over and over because a love addict la- the last thing that's actually what they want is intimacy because it's the scariest thing oh yeah so it's why can't I have find a relationship I'm ready but I wasn't yeah. I wanted to be same. that wasn't a I wasn't lying like yes I wanted to be but I have like this whole other region of my brain that's saying No, fuck that. Because if you look at my partners, if I was really available and ready, I wouldn't be choosing unavailable people. The sex addict's greatest fear is not intimacy. The sex addict's greatest fear is abandonments. The love addict's greatest fear is intimacy. It really is kind of like a, wait, wait, what? But just look at your choice of partners. If everyone you're dating is unavailable, what is the common? Again, no shame. It's like, let's just look at what's true. If you keep picking the same person... You have a wound. It's not that there's anything wrong with you. It's like you have a wound. Yeah, it's probably about childhood. It doesn't matter what your parents meant or how hard they worked or how much they loved you. It's like they missed a few things. Like, can that just be okay? It's like having a giant gash in your arm and having flies. And it's like, well, if you don't handle the wound, you're just going to keep getting the shit and it's not going to heal. And you're so gross. (laughs) It's so gross. It's true. But it's like, so true. But it's like kind of that because I was the same for so long. I remember my sister because she's been married for that bitch met her husband at 18 like 19 you know they were kids wow they've been together for 20 plus years and like very in love and you're just like okay well hey not all of us have that you know so I grew up thank god truthfully thank god I had them as a couple because if I didn't have them as what healthy like what love looked like genuinely I never would have understood but I remember probably like beginning of 2022 my sister like had a sat sit down with me and she was like Sab you're the common denominator like I'm sorry and I remember being like you just don't get me yeah you have no idea you've never fucking dated jamie have you ever been ghosted you have no now granted that's valid like yeah. when she would give me certain things i'm like jamie you've never have you ever gone on a date and have a guy never call you again after hooking up like no you met your partner early you had two partners ever in your life that ship sailed for me a long time ago many 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 to go and like i said any you andrew tates out there that want to fucking come at me good luck i've got a boyfriend i'm happy and our sex life is great but nonetheless <laughs> I think, you know, for so long I kept, you know, you try to think, especially somebody anxious of like, you just don't get me. You just don't understand. Put me on the island. Until I started to realize like, once I actually like, I, so in 2022, I told my dad off. I stood up to the big bad wolf. Literally, the one person I was terrified all of my life actually leaving me, I am the one that was like, fuck you. I'm done with this. I changed the way I dated after that. I was no longer scared. What are you scared of losing when you lose the one person that represents all of this? But 
it was true. Like I, I would shame myself at first for having these boundaries and people would say, well, blah, blah. And it's like, well, wait a minute. It worked. <laughs> like having these boundaries and setting that up doesn't mean that just because it doesn't work out that you're like, oh, that's it. You're fucked. It's like, no, that just means that it's, you got to keep doing it because for 32 years I was doing something that wasn't working. Well, if I'm going to try something new, it's going to be really weird and uncomfortable. But yeah, when I saw the guys that were avoiding, yeah, just because they text me every day, but they weren't there when my dog died. Huh. Yeah, I was good. I like I had no issues of being like, you know what? I'm good. I'm going to walk away from this because why was I going to try to get blood from a stone if I'm emotionally available and I know how I feel? You acting up is going to be a huge turnoff to me. Which comes down to like worthiness, which yeah. is like a real bummer. Like, I'm so- sorry, but people that are connected, not not everybody feels their inherent sense of worth and value every second of the day. No. But people who are connected to their sense of worth don't tolerate that kind of shit. They just don't. And I did for years and years and years because there's a part of your brain, like the easy way, I'm a, I love metaphors. If you're buying a new car, like let's say you want to buy like a Toyota, you're going to see Toyotas everywhere. If you're buying a new house, you're going to see for sale signs everywhere. It's not that all of this shit just suddenly appeared. It's that your brain, like you programmed it. I want a car. Now I'm going to look for it. Like our brains need to be told what to look for. If you're dating the same person, it's because your brain got programmed that this is what's familiar. So when, and again, I was really horrified to discover when I changed the programming and I started dating healthy people, I had the most, I had to do a lot of therapy to tolerate Mm -hmm. the physical discomfort of dating healthy people. Especially someone that likes you and you're like, what do you mean you like me? Yeah. Like, what's wrong with you? And it's like, I get that. Why is healthy equal boring? It's like, you have to retrain your system. Or the first time someone sets a healthy boundary. I remember the first time my husband, bless his heart, was just very calmly and very like adults was like, okay, I'm not really available for this conversation. I love you. And I'm going to go and I'll be back in a few hours. I'm like, you fucker. <laughs> How dare you have a boundary? Now, I had done enough therapy that I didn't chase at that point. But making new programming decisions when it comes Mm -hmm. to our partners before it feels great is going to feel like you're dying. That's why like when I say sit in the discomfort, I'm like, like I get so many people and they're like, what does that mean? It's like, what that means is this. When I started dating tech guy and he gave me the boundary of when I said, I want to text more and he said, this is not a sign of my disinterest. I'm not interested in that. I want a real relationship in person. I'm not, he was like, I work in tech nine hours a day. The last thing I want to do is have a mini phone in my hand. He said, this is me just setting a boundary. If that doesn't work for you, I respect it, but I would genuinely love to get to know you in person. So me on the other side of this being like, wait a minute. So my core belief is, see, he hasn't texted me. He hasn't liked me. Well, no, that was just discredited. He said, this is not a sign of my disinterest. I actually really like you. Okay, you're setting a boundary. So you're telling me no. Okay, well, that's weird for me. And I I sat there and I was like, yeah, I could have done the like, fuck you, you piece of shit. Like, (laughs) I want what I want. and fuck. But instead I was like, you know what? This guy's making some valid points. I was like, let me sit in my discomfort for what's coming up for me to grow a little bit of a resistance to this because then that's when all of these things started to change where I was like, huh, for 20 years of dating, I thought texting meant this. And now you're showing me it doesn't. And it's like, yeah, I had to completely reprogram my entire fucking way of being. Or realize that that's not compatible. And again, compatibility does not sound sexy, but... I'm not a texter at all. Like I, yeah. I hate texting. And frankly, because I'm a therapist at the end of the day, I don't like talking. I've right. spent all damn day doing this. Holding space for you and exactly. talking about emotions. Yeah. 
Now, if I was with somebody who wanted to talk at the end of the day and text all day, that doesn't mean that's wrong. It's just not compatible. And if I dated that person, and I did, it's like, why are we fighting all of the time? It's like, they're not necessarily wrong. It's just you two are not compatible. I want to be compatible, but I really like him. That's great. But if you're a texter and you're a constant contact person and he's not, that's not ever going to work and compatibility frankly trumps attraction and chemistry and all that other stuff like I need to be with someone who at the end of the day is going to leave me alone this episode is sponsored by Thrive Market. Personally for me, Thrive is my go-to for my grocery and household essentials. And it's so quick and easy because it gets quickly shipped to my doorstep. When I lived in New York, that was crazy how much I used it. Like no joke, me, my sister, all of my friends, we were all Thrive Market members. And it's just fun because we were able to share amazing products with each other, help each other out even to this day. Like I've been sharing with my sister all the fun products we've been getting on Thrive. And Tech Guy ordered this incredible chili oil and he's been using our artichoke. We cut the artichoke in half. He drizzles it with the oil and he grills it. It is heaven and it's only found on Thrive, which is, I love it. I love it. And what I love about Thrive is you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. So you join, they give, which I just, it holds a special place in my heart. So if you want to join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift, hello, amazing, go to thrivemarket.com slash do the work. So again, thrivemarket.com slash do the work for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. So that's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash do the work. One last time for my folks in the back, thrivemarket.com slash do the work. Totally. And like for me, when I, for me challenging the texting thing, I was like, wait a minute, I only wanted him to text me a ton. And that's why I challenge people with this. I was like, it's not because I wanted to be in constant communication with my partner. And if I'm not, it was like, no, I, I thought he was going to leave me. I thought it was going to be abandoned. I kept thinking oh, if he texts me, he likes me. And, and that was that very linear black and white, this equals this without having any nuance of, because you read it on social media. I saw a fucking video the other day. A dude was like, if a guy doesn't text you for a day, He doesn't care about you. You could be dying on the side of the road. He doesn't give a shit about you. He's not even reaching out. And it's like, and the comments, hundreds of comments of like, you're right. And And like, I did a video back at that. I made a video the other day of unrealistic expectations anxious people have with avoidance. (laughs) I don't know if you saw it. I didn't post it on social. It went viral on TikTok. The funny thing was, it got crazy engagement, tons and tons of likes. The comments, though, that's why I made a video the next day, me crying, being like, you trolls are pieces of shit. People attacking Mm -hmm. me, going crazy. And I'm like, let me guess, because I said you were unrealistic, because I said you are the one with a problem, because I called you out on saying, no, it's not okay that you need someone to text you 30 times in an hour to tell you how much they like you. Mm -hmm. And I've seen the comments, and I've seen the trolls that you get, and it's really, really hard for people, I'll speak for myself, it was really hard for for me to sit with the, I have to take, now there's a degree of when bad things happen to you, you are being victimized. I've been sexually assaulted. I've had a lot of of bad things happen. I am not victim blaming, but there's a point at which I need to say, what are my choices that I am making? What am I tolerating? And we can't control other people. There's a big difference between victimized because something happened, a T, a big trauma that yes. has happened to you, sexual abuse, things like that, versus some you asking somebody to text you 30 times a day. Like there's a very big difference between that. And it's just funny because like I find, especially with the anxious folk, anytime I call them out, it's like you get this crazy backlash. And then usually a few months later, I'll get a DM of like, at first I hated you. 
And then when I finally stopped and listened, I realized, oh my God, she's right. The defenses, and I'm not excusing it because it's horrible. I've gotten it too, is this because me focusing on they need to do this and what's wrong with them. That's my brain saying, if you don't obsess about them, you're going to die. So when someone mm. comes at them with, no, actually, this is this is a you thing, their brain is going, she's trying to kill you. Our brains are brilliant and beautiful and sometimes very stupid and literal. Like ah. to them, that feels like you are actually threatening their life. Yeah. So like, which again, is not a good reason to send inappropriate DMs to people. Uh, or comments. Exactly. But it is, it's like a death threat. That's wild. I actually didn't realize. Like, that's mm -hmm. what I mean. Of like, it's so fascinating when you start to understand the brain and what that does for me allows me to have more compassion for people. Yes. Because if I, I've always been saying this, if I can have compassion for other people, I can have more compassion for myself. And I think that's the biggest thing is like people like that, that go and attack on the internet. It's like, like I had one girl and she attacked and I even said, I was like the amount of judgment. I remember she, she commented on a video of me and Ryan on Instagram, completely off because on TikTok, I said that I think a man doing 50, 50, like you splitting your expenses with somebody is not the end of the world like you can both take care of yourself I don't need someone to pay for me yeah. and she comments on that of like you say you're an expert you have a small one-bedroom apartment clearly rented and I was like and I like asterisks I was like three-bedroom home but thank you so much um and she's like clearly rented with a guy that looks a little fruity and it's like okay so now you're making all these I said so you judge me and my home you judge my partner who has a beautiful dick and a beautiful body and we know how to work it and trust me he's not into men very into me so all of these various, like, so you just come out of the gate judging. All of this, all the spewing and all this. And I sat and I was like, okay, princess, you want somebody to come and take care of you. And all I said back to her was, it's funny that you can judge somebody so heavily without, I said, I'm hopeful that you can have a little bit of compassion for other people because if this is how you speak to yourself, no wonder you're in this position that you're in. It's really bad. And I love the compassion, but also intolerant. Like I'm big on compassionate intolerance. Yeah. You know, like I get that that person is having a moment, but that doesn't mean that there's tolerance for it. Right. It's like, you can call it out and be like, hey, I get you're going through. It's the same thing when you're dating somebody. Like, yes. If somebody's going through stuff. It's like, Masha always says explanation or excuse. I can say, hey, okay, listen, Brit's going through this thing right now. This is causing a lot. So she's removing herself a little bit. Okay, that makes sense to me. Versus Brit's going through a lot, but she's cheating me like shit. It's okay. Right, because she's having a hard time. And that's the, well, they had trauma and that, and I did this. He had trauma and that's why he cheats on me. And I'm a good person, so I should be compassionate. It's like- No, you're a people pleaser. <laughs> yeah, and a love addict and a sex addict. Compassion is not a synonym for permission. Uh, I can have yeah. compassion without giving permission. I love that. So intolerance and compassion can very, very happily coexist together. But yeah, the anxious, the anxious like, um, I need to be texted all day. I have dated some very toxic, and I'll say the word as a clinician in its true sense, narcissistic people. Yeah. Guess what? They text all damn day. Mm -hmm. You're going to get good morning, beautiful, good night, sweet dreams. How'd you sleep? Thinking about you. So the frequency of texting needs some nuance. It's not a the be all end all. Sometimes it means nothing. It's easy to send texts. You can automate a text. Yes. Ryan did that. He was like, oh, by the way, he like sent it. And I was like, did you just schedule a text? He's like, yeah, I can schedule. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, you could schedule a good morning text. Yeah. And that's why people are like, he only texts me once a day. It's like, so this isn't about the text. Again, this is nothing to do. That's for like a whole other fucking topic, but I'd be curious to see what happens. We know the dopamine, all that stuff. The last question I did have for you is how, somebody asked, how can you identify like sex addict, love addicts? Like how can you identify that early in dating? Is there anything? Oh boy, you're going to hate this answer. Like what does it matter what we call them? Right. 
What's the impact of their behavior on you? How's your nervous system responding? Are you okay with what's happening? And then I'm fine. No, you're not. Like, (laughs) let's get real, like really, truly, honestly, are you okay with what's showing up in this relationship? Do you feel at any moment, like the walls are going to come caving in? Do you feel insecure? Do you feel sick to your stomach? Do you feel, I, I think everyone that has ever dated, um, an unhealthy person could be like CIA level spy. Like I was a hacker, a spire. I knew how to do all of, if that is what's happening in your system is this impulse to snoop that tells you a lot about the safety in this relationship. So I don't care if they're a narcissist or a sex addict or whatever. It's forget about what's going on with them. How are you? Right. How you doing? That's, I think, when people ask, like, how can I see this in the early stages? And I'm like, I try to get away from doing that of, like, three signs of this. Because it's like, yeah, but here's the thing. This person could be, there's very obvious things like love bombing and manipulation and gaslighting. Like, those are very, like, hey, if somebody says that, it's like, that's somebody, you know, somebody calls you with their soulmate after one date. It's like... Exactly. Like that we already know. That is, that's not healthy. Like none of this is like, that's a, okay, I don't care if you're a narcissist. I don't care if you're insecure. I don't care anything. That doesn't work for me. But I think we need to stop trying to diagnose. If I get one more fucking like my dismissive avoidant did this and I'm like, my narc did this or I, and it's like, we're so used to self-identification because I think it gives us that sense of control, which is not a thing. And here's the problem. Real intimacy is defined like this. I define it like this. Consistency Mm -hmm. over time. Yes. So you need a full cycle of the earth around the sun to give you all of the data that you need to then make an informed decision. So when you've been dating for three weeks, how do I know? Intimacy is consistency over time, but you don't have the time logged. You need to log the miles before you can make the decision because over time, over the holidays, over the summer, during you know the busy season at work, during sports ball season, whatever their thing is, you need to see how they respond. You get hurt. Something happens. You lose your job. Exactly. Family he- members, whatever. It's like... Yo, three dates. They're amazing. It's like, you don't fucking know this person. You don't have enough time. I've seen your videos and you're so right. Like if you have this huge story about a person with six hours of exposure to them, you don't have the miles logged to make an informed decision. The amount of, oh my God. I I did it. I could write movies about the projections I would have on some of these guys. Like literally, I remember one, like you go on, like I remember I dated one of the guys that started Joe and the Juice. Very sweet man. Not for me. Like the minute, it's so funny because before, what did I do? He's super successful and he's really, oh, he's tattooed and he's handsome and he's all of these things. I created this projection of him. The minute he showed up on the date, he was shorter than me. And I instantly was like not attracted to him in that way. But I was like, it's fine. You know, like I can overlook that. We kept on the date. Not a personality that I would go for. There was nothing wrong with this guy. There's nothing wrong with me. We were not at all. We had a great night. Don't get me wrong. We had fun. But he was not as bubbly. I created this version of him. Then I was devastated after when we didn't see each other again. I kept trying to see him. And I think even he was kind of like, we didn't jive. Like, why are we pretending like we had this incredible night when like it was okay? Like we had fun, but like we went to a bar. We didn't really talk. There was music going on. There was a live show. So like the reality was like that fun that we had was because of just being there. It wasn't because he and I were sitting alone on the beach talking about for six hours. But I created this entire fucking name. And then your brain drug dealer gave you a little jolt of this is who this is. And then your brain went, more please, mm-hmm. more please. And then when you don't hear from them, logically we know it wasn't a thing. But your brain drug dealer is going, uh-huh, you need all of this or you're going to die. I like the way you put that. Is like, it's literally, and it feels like that because I think some people are like, I can't not. And you're like, you literally feel like you're going to die. Yeah. Now here's the big thing. It's like, if you feel like this, when I used to do ice baths, you're like, no, I can't do this. It's like, 
do it for a second. And then you'll see you're like, oh, I'm still breathing. Right. <laughs> Which is hard because the only so way to know you won't die by not doing something is to not do it and then see that you don't die. Exactly. But plan for a really, really unpleasant couple of days. You yes. You know, like it's going to suck before it doesn't. And we all, me, myself included, want to skip over the it sucks stage. But like one of the stages of change is this sucks. This Discomfort. is horrible. I hate this. Discomfort and growth. Like that's it. You will not, you don't grow muscles. You don't grow your anything if it's not uncomfortable for you. Right. Because brain. Oh man, this was, okay. We're definitely, <laughs> definitely going to do a part three on more because we have so much more to talk about with the brain. Brent. Thank you for joining me. What new stuff? You have a book coming out. I do. Oh, talk to me. What's upcoming Yeah, for you? this was so fun, by the way. Okay. Um, the Getting Unstuck Workbook comes out in June. And I'm so excited about it. And it's really fun. And it, there's a ton of exercises. Yes, I can't wait. And if like this type of work isn't your jam, I put a ton of different types of things. And it's really fun. And I love it. And I'm working on a new book about parts and all the different voices in our heads. And that'll be out next year. Sweet. All right. Well, I'll have everything in the show notes as well. I'll put your The Science of Stuck is in the Amazon store if anybody wants to get it. It's one of my favorite books. I've gotten a lot of clients on it. I just, like I said, I like the way that you take something so complex and make it digestible to be like, oh, I get what she's saying. So Britt, thank you for joining. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for being on Do The Work Podcast first live in studio recording. Yay! Thanks so much for having me.